Bow cannot, will not, should not sleep. Because one night his mother told him the strange thing about his Johnson. She said that his father died during his conception because he had a heart murmur and that his condition was hereditary. So Bo was afraid, or at least he was, until he finally had sex one midsummer night. Hello and welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night. I am your host, Tim M. Sullivan, and with me I have... Hi, I wear socks when I take a bath. I'm wearing this shirt in protest against YouTube. YouTube, you fascist bastards, put Troma's YouTube channel back. And we have a returning special guest, the first ever member of the Five Timers Club. It's me, Angie Hotchman, again. And uh, today we are talking about the hit film that flopped hard at the box office. Ari Aster's <laughs> Bo Was Afraid. Uh, this is his third feature film after his breakout hit Hereditary and his follow-up Midsommar. And he's definitely made a name for himself as an auteur <laughs> director. So I think it would be good to talk about our thoughts on Ari Aster as a director. We'll start with Joe. All right, so Ari Aster, I remember seeing Hereditary all the way back in 2018. I saw it opening weekend. It was legitimately one of the like biggest movies that year that I was like the most hyped to see. It was my favorite movie of that year. It's also, it shares a very rare distinction in that I like horror movies. I really love horror movies. I've made horror movies. Horror movies do not scare me. There's only like a couple of exceptions here and there, most notably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But when I fucking saw Hereditary, I was shaking. I was just in complete terror and awe as to what I had seen before. No joke, I got in the car with my ex-fiance. We saw that movie as a date, and they just kind of looked over at me and were like, are you okay? Do you want to go get some ice cream? There's a cold stone right over there. And I just kind of go, yeah, yeah, I do. Joe was afraid. Uh, yes, Joe was afraid. Midsummer is not as good of a movie, but it's a very admirable second film, which Jesus Christ. Can we just talk about the fact that that came out literally one year after Hereditary? It's fucking yeah. insane. But I really enjoyed Midsummer. Midsummer is a fun film. My ex-fiance probably liked it more than I did. I really liked that opening scene. That's probably one of the best things Ari Aster's ever done. So two out of two feature films under his belt he's already on a hot streak for me so i was really looking forward to seeing this movie when it came out apparently at one point it was four hours supposedly this was a comedy i had no idea what to expect out of this what were my thoughts on it we'll talk about that later back to you tim hell yeah definitely get what you mean about as a horror filmmaker i don't really get scared by horror movies but every now and then you have that rare exception for me that was nope that gordy scene let yeah. me tell you. But you can hear all about that on our episode on that. Instead, we're going to talk to Austin. What are your thoughts on Ari Aster as a director? I think that these days, in the very corporate-dominated landscape with lots of, like, made-by-committee tentpole blockbusters, it's always exciting when a movie shows up at the Megaplex that aims to psychologically affect you in ways that are more complicated than stuff like, say, emphasizing how important it is to have family and friends, cherishing your life, or the many ways that good will always triumph over evil. That was always, like, my takeaway from the Scorsese Marvel comments, that the film industry needs to save some room for movies that interact with audiences psychologically in fresh and sometimes challenging ways. 
I only bring up that old shit because Scorsese has been throwing tremendous praise at Ari Aster recently for his feature film work, calling him one of the most extraordinary new voices in cinema. So if Scorsese is like the prism through which we're viewing recent trends in cinema, if superhero blockbusters are the yang, the yin are films by Ty West, the Safdie brothers, and our boy Ari Aster. And to actually like get to the fucking question, I, I felt that exact same way two times. Up until the release of today's film, Bo is Afraid. Those two times were not when I watched Hereditary and Midsommar, though. The two times Ari Aster properly blew my socks off was the moment I saw the daughter's decapitated head in Hereditary and the short film The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. As far as, like, psychologically just knocking me into a dark abyss that films rarely ever do, those have been the highlights of his career up on my end until Bo came out. Other than that, I think he's an exciting director on par with, like, Robert Eggers, where I am eternally grateful that he keeps making films, especially films that look as good as his films do. But Hereditary didn't, like, give me a panic attack, and Midsommar's theatrical cut felt like it devolved into something kind of disappointing as the film marched on towards its conclusion. In summary, I, I absolutely understand the hype for this man, especially considering the landscape of film today, but I've had mixed experiences being as deeply affected by his films as some people appear to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just watched The Strange Thing About the Johnsons for the first time a few months ago, and, uh, oh man. The night after I saw that, I just started getting blackout drunk because I hoped it would help me forget the movie. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Angie, I personally showed you both Hereditary and Midsommar a couple years ago, so I'm interested to see uh, what you have to say about Ari Aster's work. To, to be honest, I think Hereditary ended up being like one of my favorite films. I remember being deeply like impacted by it because not only did it kind of get me creeped out, like I, I remember going to bed after that one and kind of feeling a little bit anxious, but yeah. it also affected me emotionally. Like I felt like the emotional like core themes in the story actually kind of moved me and I got like choked up and teary eyed later on in the, the movie. So even mm. though it was supposed to be like a scary movie, it was kind of getting to me uh, on an emotional level too. So I guess like my opinion is I, I kind of feel like I enjoy his themes in, in his movies, that it's more than just like scaring you, but it's getting to you on like a personal emotional level. Good takes all around. I guess I'll start by uh, going to the start of my journey with Argaster, which is the start of most people's, I think, which was seeing Hereditary when it first came out. That is still among my worst theatrical experiences. The Jackass Forever story, of course, overtakes it. But when I went to see Hereditary for the first time, it was in a theater that was not super crowded, but like it had a fairly large group of obnoxious teenagers who were like making and dumb jokes and comments throughout the movie. Girls whispering, this is so fucking stupid. But let me tell you, as soon as that head hit the pole, everybody shut the fuck up for five minutes. There we go. That moment will get to everyone who sees it. And that, I think, is sort of what made me really interested in Ari Aster is seeing somebody who could make something that hits you that hard. And kind of like what Joe said, I think that Midsummer is not as good, but I disagree with the assertions that it's like a bad movie or uh, whatever. I do think it's kind of an interesting trade-off where I think the theatrical cut has better pacing, but the director's cut has much more character work that I think just makes 
makes it work so much better as a movie. I feel like the perfect cut could be somewhere in the middle. But either way, it's a solid second film. And up until this past week, the only Ari Aster shorts I had seen were The Strange Thing About the Johnsons and Bo. So I decided to go ahead and watch the rest of his short filmography this week. And I think the conclusion I've came to is like, number one, I think it's fair to say that shock value is a huge part of Ari Aster's style. Um, and it's a huge part of what makes his movies work, which is perfectly valid. Um, and the other thing is, I think Ari's films work the best when he's either trying to make you laugh or scare the shit out of you. And so I was definitely looking forward to seeing this film when it was coming out. I, I thought it was interesting to see him tackle a feature comedy. But was it good? Did we like it? Let's get into that. What are our thoughts on Bo's Afraid? Let's start with Angie. Well, so I guess there's there's a lot. It's a long movie, so there's a lot of stuff going on. But I think the one thing that I wanted to talk about was like sort of like the beginning of the movie. So like thematically, you could say it, it's about sort of like this manipulative relationship he has with his mother. My own mother wouldn't even touch me. She blamed me for everything her mother did to her. And so an observation I had upon like watching it the second time was sort of like this bizarre world that it's taking place in is kind of like a representation of all your like irrational fears. Like like when you watch the first part of the movie, it's mm -hmm. like every kind of anxiety induced, like irrational fear you could possibly have is something that happens to Bo like in the beginning part of the movie when he's like Googling, like what are the symptoms of like taking the medicine without water? And then you see the obituary of somebody. <laughs> John. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just it's so absurd but that's like exactly what your like brain does sometimes when you get like freaked out by things like that so I, I mm. thought that was actually kind of pretty fun and then there was also a lot of moments that kind of hit hard for me like um when he calls his mother like when he loses the, his keys and she immediately just assumes that he's trying to avoid like seeing her or the mm. moment where Roger tells him like oh you know we can take you to night but you know i got all these surgeries i gotta do and these people could die but you know it's your choice then they like <laughs> kind of bring it back and it's like you had the choice to come here whenever you wanted and it's like not really no. and that got me like frustrated because I, I could understand like that feeling so i really appreciated how the movie kind of portrays that sort of toxic manipulative relationship between Bo and his mother yeah absolutely uh, let's move on to austin thoughts on Bo was afraid i know this was at least for a while your favorite movie of the year heads up i'm plagiarizing other videos here briefly but i thought that this point was too exciting to ignore this is a carte blanche vanity project right the kind of thing a filmmaker mm. sometimes gets to do after they like make the studio a fuckload of money or get like a marketable reputation or become best friends with mike deluca in the 90s whoop, whoop, boogie nice but this isn't the first heaven's gate style full creative freedom with a giant budget movie that we've seen recently. In fact, there seems to be a lot of people who are cashing in their clout to make big, risky movies over the last few years. Damien Chazelle with Babylon, Inuritu with Bardo, Noah Baumbach with White Noise, Robert Eggers with The Fucking Northman. And you know why all of this is happening? That's right, The Irishman, motherfucker. $250 million on a movie about how crime is actually lame and you die alone. 
every answer I give today is going to be the Martin Scorsese Power Hour, and none of you can fucking stop me. Uh, but yeah, Bo is Afraid is the most expensive A24 movie up to this point. Casual reminder, The Northman was not an A24 film. It's also the longest narrative feature they've made, taking the mantle from American Honey, of all things. Uh, but above that, it might be A24's most polarizing film. The reactions to Bo is Afraid make arguments about, like, Under the Silver Lake or Lamb seem like mere squabbles in comparison. People love or hate this movie because of stuff like its mammoth runtime, its explicit content that's often played for shock value, its allegorical nature, or the fact that it's like this fucked up perversion of the hero's journey template where a traumatized man-child is killed by his rich mom in a conflict he didn't even know was happening. But for me, mm -hmm. for my money, this is hands down my favorite thing Ari Aster has ever done. And uh, it was my favorite movie the entire year for a while by a huge fucking margin. I mentioned why White Noise earlier is another one of these like wildly big expensive risk movies. Well, White Noise was probably the movie that got me to laugh out loud the most out of any movie that came out last year. But with White Noise, I found it a lot less funny as the movie went on. Meanwhile, Bo is Afraid had me laughing all the way to the end when that lawyer gets pushed onto that rock. I will admit, the opening in the city is the funniest part of the movie, but I didn't mind that it evolved past this sort of, like, Jacques TT playtime-style gag machine into tackling other environments. The funhouse, like, hell mirror depiction of the suburbs, the uber-wealthy supervillain lair, and the bullshit trial all had comedic value that kept me very engaged. I know that this movie is ripe for different interpretations, like Meshes of the Afternoon style, but my favorite way to engage with it casually was just pretending it's like a, a science fiction movie where Bo's mother is just Jeff Bezos level powerful but instead of spending billions like getting to space she's using unfathomable resources just to orchestrate this nightmare world and torture Bo because he got her the same present for a birthday twice you yeah. know <laughs> sort of uh, wrapping up here I, I was able to get my mind in the right sort of mode where I could appreciate this movie and it's fucking nightmare logic. I get that it's just like the, what's the worst thing that could happen? Joke repeated a thousand yeah. times. But the simplicity and that repetition felt liberating for me. I, I usually get so anxious in movies about whether or not it's all gonna turn out okay in the end. But with this movie, I could actually like go and just laugh at how batshit crazy everything was. Early in the movie, when that guy in the hallway, he tells Bo, you're fucked, pal. I was just like, you know what? Sure. Yeah, this guy's fucked. Let's go. <laughs> Hell yeah. I absolutely agree with all of that. Joe, I know you were a little more mixed on this one. Yeah. Um, so often listing off all of those movies, it all just kind of starts to make sense for me because I want to say like half of those movies that he listed off, specifically Babylon, I really don't like or I'm <laughs> just like very lukewarm on. And I would say this one falls a little bit more on the ledge of I like it more so than feel lukewarm on, but I definitely still have mixed feelings on it after a couple of months of having not seen it. Personally, I feel that the first half of this movie is a significantly stronger half than the second half of the movie. Do not make me do this, please! Oh, please, please! Please don't make me do this! 
most notably because Ari Aster takes a Chaplin meets David Lynch-esque approach to portraying <laughs> anxiety in a way that is both hilarious because we got to keep in mind with Ari Aster, it's like, sure, in the moment, it's terrifying. But when you think back on like certain things in the movie, it's honestly kind of funny when you take it out of context. Most notably, like half the faces Tony Collette makes in Hereditary. Florence Pugh's <laughs> pouty face in a uh, fucking Midsummer, And th there's a lot of that in Bo's Afraid and in that first half too. Birthday Boy or whatever. Uh, birthday Boy Stab Man. Yeah, Birthday Boy Stab Man. There we go. Uh, Search continues for the man known as Birthday Boy Stab Man, who in the last week has claimed three more lives. Speaking of which, remember when TikTok just released him full frontal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they put his flaccid penis right up on TikTok, baby. But TikTok. that's besides the point. Ari Aster, I have no idea what the hell his life was like. Apparently, he lived a very normal life, and you would assume so looking at the man, because that man looks like fucking Ned Flanders. Mm -hmm. But he, the way that he captures anxiety, the fact that, like, nobody's listening to Bo, he's trying to explain everything, and then, like, everyone's either just ignoring him or just completely misinterpreting him. I was getting anxious throughout, like, most of that first half, because it felt real to me specifically. And then that second half hits, and I don't know how to feel about it. Oh! Dad! Run! No! A lot of it just kind of felt like being shock value and artsy for the sake of being shock value and artsy, but that's just kind of a personal thing, I guess. Overall, the movie's just fine. It looks very nice. I, I understand, yeah, this movie looks fucking expensive. I would believe it. It's well acted. Joaquin Phoenix is giving it his all. Nathan Lane steals the show. <laughs> we love Nathan Lane here. You also need to get some serious rest, my brother. You aren't healed. My dude. But yeah, overall, pretty solid movie that I have mixed feelings on. Back to you, Tim. That's completely fair. This is definitely the kind of movie that I don't expect to work for everybody. Solid takes all around. Before I get into my spiel, first things first, Tanner was going to be on this episode. We went to see it on the 18th when they did like the premiere screening at Ronnie's and IMAX. He ended up deciding not to come on the show because he wasn't hot on the end and his feelings have kind of soured on the movie as a whole. But since he's not here, I have something I have to say. Dad's cock, baby! Oh my god. Dad's cock. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking um, of which, uh, this is a movie that has a mom that does not rock. This is true. Mom! But yeah, uh, going into my thoughts on the movie, um, this movie, I think, resembles a dark, twisted version of a movie we talked about recently on the show, The Truman Show. There are similar situations that uh, ultimately have different motivations, like with The Truman Show, it's more of a voyeuristic kind of thing. And with this, it's more of a manipulative parental thing. I saw with my own eyes exactly what you knew and what 
what you didn't know. But they're both kind of trapped in these worlds that keep them from living. And then we have this character who's sort of the person who wants to make him live and then she's taken away. I think there's some similarities there. I do really enjoy the movie. I had some issues with the end, kind of like what Joe was saying. I I wasn't quite sure how to feel about it. But then as time passed and I sort of started to view the rest of the movie through the lens of the ending, I think that made it work for me really well. Like, it's plain to see that this is a movie about an abusive mother who's guilt-tripping her son. But, like, it's a very specific sort of motherhood. It's, like, this very specific conservative type of motherhood where they're basically trying to make their kids afraid of their shadow. Like, if you leave your bubble for one second, the worst possible thing is going to happen to you. What is that man doing? We're trying to give him the jump. And then when the version of him that asks questions, asks questions, he gets sent away to the attic. So it's it's just a lot of that kind of thing. And like, I feel like that's something that really makes it interesting. I do really love that first half. I think that's what really plays for everybody. Uh, it's just some of the best dark humor that I've seen in a movie. Like, there's so many things in this where you're laughing and you feel like you shouldn't be laughing. Like, when the UPS guy is just like, uh, maybe you called the wrong number, hang up. And then he calls it again and he just goes, I'm so sorry. Like, the, the comedic timing on that is so good. I love it. And then, again, right at the end, when uh, he climaxes and then looks in her face and she's just dead. Those are the two things that, like, the theater's just like oh it worked a lot for me i admire the big swings happening in this movie definitely understand why it doesn't work for everybody but uh it's it's worth giving it a go whenever it hits streaming but we're gonna take a quick ad break and we'll be right back and we're back from commercial and now we got some sponsored content for you you're watching a youtube video about an Aster film so chances are you might be a film student who may or may not have a tattoo of the a24 logo so you'd probably <laughs> love the products sold at moviepalette.com where they use thin lines to represent the dominant colors of each frame of a movie. I've got one right up there for the hit film Mandy. So if you want to get one just like that, you can go to moviepalette.com and you can use the promo code SQUAD15 to get 15% off your order. Now, let's go into some general discussion. All right, so I got a question for A24. What's the deal with them and very, like, horrible, sadistic daughter characters? Because between this and the whale, Jesus fucking Christ. No one's asking you to leave. I'm asking you to fucking drink this fucking bait with me. The daughter of Nathan Lane's character in this is a real fucking son of a bitch. Like, one of the funniest <laughs> things she said in that was right in that drinking paint scene when he's like, calm down, Tony. And she's like, don't call me Tony. He's like, I thought that was your name. That is my name. It's my name. Yeah, she turned into the main <laughs> character of The Crucible for a second. Tony, please. Don't call me Tony. I'm sorry if that was your name. He is my name. It's my name. Because it is my name. There's also another cut very shortly after that where she's drank the paint and she's about to die and she just shouts, fuck you, and it cuts halfway through the word <laughs> yeah. you. Never fails I to make that. me laugh. 
even in that like car ride when they force him to smoke the whatever what the fuck was in that uh, and you just hear like their conversation where it's just like oh we should get that guy fired imagine if he died after he got fired my favorite joke in the movie is when Bo asks what's in the nightmare blunt and she just says it's it has three, three things. things look you smoke it and we take you home you don't and we don't that's it what's in it it's three things with no further elaboration. <laughs> PCP, Angel Dust. So I think a lot of what like fucks with people trying to analyze this movie in a consistent framework is the father, the penis monster in the attic. And I have 50% cracked the code in a way that's not helpful. So there were some drawings that were recovered from Ari Aster's old Squarespace website that actually depicted stuff from this movie all the way back in 2012. The two most notable mm. ones being the penis monster monster looking almost exactly like its final design and a joke comic that looks like one of the shots from the sex scene in this film the one from behind very silly stuff but i think the penis monster was just a super bad style drawing that he did in 2012 and like one of his friends was like i dare you to put this in a movie i mean i i take it as two things number one watching his short films i've noticed that he likes shock humor that involves dicks and uh, num number two, I just feel like the metaphor there is that it doesn't matter who his dad is. It's just a random dick. He's just a giant dick. And I guess it sort of informs why she has designed this sort of nightmare bubble. Because you have the conditions of his birth where she thinks he's dead and there's no heartbeat. By the way, uh, I saw this in theaters twice. Uh, the second time, I got high as balls. And uh, the first time, we were about five minutes late. So I saw that scene for the first time, high as balls. It was an experience. <laughs> it's so weird this movie begins with the most terrifying little short I've ever seen. I was thrilled in the theater. I was like, oh, he's just trying to give us heart attacks now. The birthing sequence, the sound design on it is some of the scariest shit I've ever seen. But then you're supposed mm -hmm. to immediately snap into comedy mode when the city pops up, like you're in the therapist's office. Does it ever Anyone else find that scene terrifying or is that just yeah. me? speaking of fitting a camera into small spaces i have a cinematography fact because i noticed that cinematography facts about this movie are kind of sparse at least on imdb trivia so this movie was shot on Sony Venice cameras at like 320 ISO. The reason it was shot on the Venice, right, was because they have this thing called the Rialto camera extension. It's a system where you can take the camera body up to 18 feet away from the sensor block, effectively making it the size of a DSLR, but it's like a big 6K cinema camera. So this helped them move the camera into tight spaces more quickly because they, so they didn't have to like always go full hog and like take out walls and stuff. But yeah, that's why this wasn't like shot on like an Alexa LF or a Red Raptor. It was because mm. they could lift the camera and make it small and take it places like a bathtub. You gotta get the fancy cameras and compact spaces. There was some funny like one sentence descriptions of the movie. Let me pull it up. Jewish Lord of the Rings being the uh, Ari Aster <laughs> elevator pitch. That's one of the ones. Okay. One of the ones Ari Aster used to describe it as is if you pumped a 10-year-old full of Zoloft and had him get your groceries. Uh, Nathan Lane described it as the Jewish everything everywhere all at once. Not sure no. I agree with that one. People got to no. quit doing that. I, uh, I, I have a, a niche thing 
the trial sequence at the end. It was influenced by a couple films mm. I'm sure none of us have seen. The first one was this like 1946 movie called A Matter of Life and Death. In that movie, you have the circular Coliseum design that they have in this movie. And then there's mm. this 1991 film, I think it's a rom-com, called Defending Your Life, which features a similar like supernatural trial, but now like video snippets, like what you see in Bo is Afraid. Also, Defending Your Life is a trial deciding whether a recently deceased dude has enough courage to go to heaven, which you can understand is a little funny in this context. He's also on mm. trial for like lacking courage. Yeah, it definitely like felt like a almost afterlife trial of are we sending this guy to heaven or hell? When he was going into the cave this time when I was rewatching it, I was like, he's being unborn. I was like a first year film mm. student. I was like, he's going back at the vagina. I know what this oh. is. Oh, boy. Oh, uh, we didn't talk about the animated sequence much. Yeah, that was, I think that's where it really starts to challenge people, where people are like, all right, what is this doing? It was at the exact time in the movie where I was starting to get tired and bored. Yeah, as someone who has very mixed feelings on the movie and definitely prefers one half over the other, that is definitely where I started to be like, okay, what's going on? I thought it was kind of neat that it kind of tied into some of the stuff that was happening throughout the movie mm -hmm. and it related to his life in some ways, but not in others. She will become pregnant because you have sex with her. But it did kind of lose me a bit. It's still the part that I kind of don't really fully understand. And it does drag on a little bit. So I agree that it kind of, um, at that point in the movie, you kind of start getting a little tired. I, uh, Ethan would kill me if I don't mention these facts. The animated sequence was made by Cristobal Leone and uh, Joaquin Cochina, uh, the directors of the hit 2018 Ethan favorite film, The Wolf House. They worked with a team of like 20 artists to bring that shit to life. The animated elements were composited into the film somewhere in London. Nobody ever met until like the premiere. This was like three separate parties all working together across the globe. Apparently that eight minute short, internally known to like the crew as Hero Bow, uh, took longer to produce than the rest of the movie. It's funny, like this time watching it, I noticed that like it felt similar, at least in structure to the Wolf House. And so it's interesting to learn that the same people made that. Well, sort of like the Wolf House, one of the animators goals was they were trying to use so many different like techniques of animation that they didn't mm. want people to know how it was animated. They wanted to throw so much different types of shit at you, like rotoscoping, stop motion, uh, paper mache, that people would be like, what is this? How are they doing this and i think they succeeded enough it's a very distinctive yeah. sequence it's definitely an eye catcher in the trailers you see that bit in the trailers and you're just like this is gonna get weird and i'm here for it uh shout out to that absolute madman who cut the first trailer with goodbye stranger by super tramp you tricked so many people into seeing the weirdest shit ever and the movie definitely got weird <laughs> I also think they filmed part of this in a volume. I was listening to the cinematographer talk to a guy, and he said for the cruise ship sequence, they used like an LED array, and they were like positioning the sun digitally. And I went back and I like looked at the scene, and it looks like a huge set. So I was like, is there really just a, a giant volume somewhere near Montreal, Canada, and they're letting Bo is Afraid film in the volume. There wasn't enough information to me for me to know exactly what was going on, but 
part of this mm. might have been filmed in a volume type scenario, which is like Bo's Afraid is the last thing you expect to be filmed in a fucking <laughs> LED volume. We gotta give the giant one to Bo's Afraid, not Star Wars. I heard some people docking this movie points because it presents homeless people as scary, and I was very sad about that. I, I was like, I'm revoking your film under standard license. <laughs> it's a big nightmare tinged by Bo's expectations. I was gonna say the same thing, like, you know, that's sort of the point. Like, they're, they're not trying to portray, like, a negative perception of homeless people. They're trying to portray Bo's, like, anxiety and fear. Right. It's like saying that uh, conservatives hate the movie and it paints them in a bad light because everyone in the, around Bo has fucking guns and is fucking terrifying. Right. Which, <laughs> speaking of, like, just them, like, having, like, a fucking gun show out in just broad daylight and open fucking public. And we were talking about Ari Aster's, like, influences earlier. And Ari Aster has, like, uh, some very interesting influences when it comes to just his work in general. Uh, most notably, that man loves the cook, the thief, his wife, and his lover. Great movie. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if Paul Verhoeven is in his catalog of, like, inspirations and references, specifically for, like, the people with the guns out in public. Yeah. Because that feels very much like an interpretation of just American society, specifically from a weird foreign art person's perspective, like Paul Verhoeven. Like, that does not feel out of place in a movie like Robocop or Starship Troopers. Yeah, that whole, like, Long pan definitely resembles Cook the Thief, his wife and her lover. There's a woman in the background holding a sign that just says, I will cut off my own hands. I, I also <laughs> add this to a narrow list of films like It's Such a Beautiful Day, where they sort of warp reality in order to, like, g- you know, give you a grander, like, idea yeah. of a concept. Like, it's, it's Such a Beautiful Day, they animate everything like an indie cartoon to portray, like, dementia or Alzheimer's. Whereas in this one, everything's just fucking distorted through the lens of anxiety i just love Mm. it when a film goes whole hog and makes like this world that's completely tinted by like what verhoeven did like like capitalism and like sort of that that weird american exceptionalist thinking where everyone's supposed to own a gun like i i just love that this movie built a whole world like that that fucking rocks Mm. also the suburb scenes i thought those were very funny just all of the jokes about the dead hero son hero in air quotes (laughs) like when they were playing (laughs) they had a jigsaw puzzle like a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle yeah. of their dead son in uniform. <laughs> I, I also love Nathan Lane just uh, going, uh, you need to get some rest, my brother. Every time he says my brother or my dude, uh, I just laugh. It's so funny. Also, it was it was kind of funny when Jeeves was trying to kill Bo and uh, the, the mom and the dad give him this sort of panicked, like, he killed everybody, Bo. He was shooting at his own squad, Bo. He's a yeah. hero. That shit is very funny. He's going to be so embarrassed in the morning. They found him running around <sighs> shooting at the bodies. Not the enemy, his own squad, too. His own squad, Bo. He was defending himself. I did watch the short film, Bo, like, right before going into Bo's Afraid. It is kind of funny how, like, the short film, Bo, almost feels like the student film version that would go on to become the most unhinged movie ever made. Also, I think people should watch Bo if Ari Aster, like, releases it as a special feature on the Blu-ray, because right now it's hard to find. They took it off YouTube. But Bo is one of those movies, like uh, Thomas Vitterberg's, like, The Celebration, where I think it was filmed in Shittoscope. I think it was filmed in, like, 480p on a a dingle. And it is just really entertaining. Like, he found some way to make this movie incredible. It is a really amazing thing to point to. Like, yeah, you can film it on a potato, and if you're a good director, it'll still be great. 
Um, I did notice in the credits this time that there was like a memoriam for Billy Mayo, who was the lead actor in Bo, who passed away in 2019. He was going to be in this, but then he died. I, I think I was yeah. reading something about that. It was Astor's like plan to bring him back, but he, he just left us too soon. Yeah, that's what I saw, too. He was, he was going to be the lead. A tragic like watching his shorts, it was funny seeing like a couple of big names. Like they had the dude from Office Space and a couple of them. It's very funny. Rock on, Ari Aster. Originally, this was four hours long. It would have been better that way. Would it? We need the four hour director's cut Blu ray. Hashtag release the Aster cut. Extend that thing. Longer animated sequence, longer sequence in uh, the city, longer uh, sex scene with that cock juggling thunder cunt. Parker Posey. Yes, I wanted to quote Blade Trinity on this podcast. <laughs> there we go. Blade Trinity reference. Speaking of that sex scene real quick, uh, I've seen multiple letterbox reviews praising this film for being the best use of Spotify in a motion picture. Uh, she's <laughs> just like, I got to play it again. I got to go back to the beginning. <laughs> That was a Mariah Carey song, right? Yeah, and she showed up to the premiere. Yeah, I wanted to mention that because that was like the weird thing leading up to this movie was they they just have a photo of Ari Aster, Ned Flanders looking motherfucker, standing right next to Mariah, well known for her massive like ego diva behavior, Carey. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Why is Mariah Carey going to an Ari Aster premiere? And then it all makes sense when you watch the movie. You gotta work for it, but eventually you get the goods. All I want for Christmas <laughs> is both. All right. Well, uh, now we're going to get into our final thoughts. We are going to start with Joe. If this movie did anything correctly, I mean, it's probably not going to happen because of a falling out with one of the cast members. But this movie inspired me. If I ever make a feature film version of Sex Demon, this movie inspired me to have its original ending where the main character fights a giant dick monster. Back to you, Tim. Hell yeah. Austin, final thoughts. The real penis monster was the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Hell yeah. Beautiful movie. I hope it's like Barry Lyndon and people grow to enjoy it more as time goes on. Mad respect. Now back to you, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, Angie, final thoughts. It's a very interesting movie, especially thematically, but I don't think it's as easily accessible as his other movies. So it's going to be a kind of confusing for some people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, my final thoughts. This has been kind of a weird year for movies. Like, I've really enjoyed the crowd pleasers like John Wick and uh, Guardians 3 and Spider-Verse. But I think the ones that have like really stuck with me the most have been the ones that take big swings that don't necessarily connect with general audiences like Skinamarink and the Outwaters and uh, this monster of a picture. Bo is Afraid is definitely a movie that's going to be divisive, but I do hope that it garners a following on home video. I hope that they can uh, recoup their losses and I hope that they still allow uh, Ari Aster to make his weird, crazy films. He's still talking about Eddington his next movie so I I hope that uh, he's able to make that and it's good but you know what else is good what your mom 
thank you for tuning in to Bomb Squad Movie Night. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. Angie, thank you for coming on the show once again. Uh, feel free to promote your socials or whatever you want to do. Uh, well, I don't do much, but I am planning to post a video on my YouTube channel celebrating the 10th anniversary of Free. Uh, <gasps> so if anyone wants interested in that, can check that out whenever that comes out. Hell yeah, we got uh, Anime Swimmer Boys on the channel. Before we start signing off, I'd like to once more plug my documentary, Enter Room 6, The Making of the Man in Room 6, because it just hit streaming. You can now watch it for free with limited ads on Tubi. You can also watch The Man in Room 6 on Tubi or Prime Video, or if you're a physical media collector like myself, you can go to themaninroom6.com and buy it on Blu-ray and DVD, which also include the documentary. Go check it out! Alright, so that's gonna do it for this episode. If you are listening on any of the audio platforms, give us a review tell us that we're right or that we're wrong i don't know just say something say something and uh if you are watching on spotify video i hope you enjoy all of the curse words that we said today uncensored you fuck so how about you go down to our patreon and give us some money please we want to use it to build our channel and make things uh, and if you're watching on youtube thank you for watching uh, leave a comment below let us know what is your favorite ari aster film what did you think of bo's afraid is your dad a penis monster let us know <laughs> and while you're down there hit the like button if you like the video hit the subscribe button if you want to see more and hit the bell icon to get notifications when we upload stuff Tune in next week when we talk about a very different movie. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Hosted by Tanner. I haven't seen the film, but I've heard it's quite good, so uh, check that one out. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And remember, in life, you either get busy coming or get busy going. Oh. Goodbye, stranger. Oh, no! <laughs> you fucker! <laughs>